Good morning, my name is Braden, for those of you who have not had the pleasure of meeting. And today's sermon is on a scale, if we were to have a heresy scale, on a scale of one to 10, one being, you know, the most dogmatic of fundamentalism, and 10 being probably, you know, the most blasphemous thing you've ever heard. Today is probably about a seven. So I just want to kind of just preface that as we're getting into this and say with that, what we usually say, our mantra here at Paradox, is that Paradox sermons are designed to start discussions, not end them. So with that being said, today's passage, as you just heard, read Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 14, read through the inclusive Bible. It starts with saying that after these events, God tested Abraham. And the events that it's talking about is, God, is, is Abraham finally was given a son Isaac. He was finally given a son, then it flashes forward and says, after all of this, God tested Abraham. Abraham, God called. Here I am, Abraham replied. Take your son, God said, your only child Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, seeing. Offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will point to you. And many of us have probably heard this story at one point or another. I know for myself, I heard this story a lot growing up in kids' ministry at the church that I went to. And so I think it's very important to preface with all of this that when you read this story, as many stories in the Bible that we tell in kids' ministry, this is not a children's story. In fact, if you really look at it, this is a horror story. In fact, there are horror movies out there you know, that, that deal with child sacrifice. That This is an absolutely horrendous tale. And so all of us read this, and we're absolutely shocked by this whole reality. That God comes to him and says, offer your child as a burnt offering. And here, here at Paradox, we talk a lot about this idea of sanctified imagination. It's this, this phrase that's coined by Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney. And she really talks about play, really going into your imagination, using your sanctified imagination to fill in the gaps in the story. Because oftentimes we're not told what Abraham thought, what, what his thoughts and feelings were when all of this was happening. It's, it's just told, this is what was told to Abraham, and then this is what he did. And so we have to kind of fill in the gaps. And you can imagine the events that just happened. He finally has a son. He finally has a child after many, many years of trying. And then finally, as the boy is growing up, God says, offer him there as a burnt offering. Not just an offering, a burnt offering. The idea is that, that you, would, you would kill a living being and then burn them up. And so you can imagine, within your sanctified imagination, what Abraham would be feeling. Fear, despair, frankly, confusion, because this child was promised to him. And coupled with that, probably anger. And I think for most of us, including myself, we, we're very uncomfortable with this. And our main question is, what kind of God would ask this of someone? What kind of God would ask someone to sacrifice a child, a living being, period, but an innocent child, your only child, your child whom you love? 
And so the tale follows. It doesn't fill in these gaps for us, but it just says, rising early in the next morning, Abraham saddled a donkey. He took along the workers and his son Isaac, and Abraham chopped wood for the burnt offering. And he started on the journey to the place God showed him. And I just want to kind of point out something. It just, it's Abraham, he immediately, he, he saddles a donkey, he takes along two workers, he chops wood for the burnt offering. We tend to not really notice this, but he see, Abraham seemed to know exactly what was needed for a burnt offering. He, he knew exactly what to do. There, there's not this long thing of God telling him exactly what to do, of how to do a burnt offering. Like if you think of other stories in the Bible, Another story we tell quite often in children's ministry, even though it's not quite a children's story, you know, Noah's Ark. Um, in the story, God gives Noah detailed instructions on how to build an ark because Noah had never seen it done before. Or if you fast forward to the story of Exodus where they're instructed to build this tabernacle, God's dwelling place among the people. And in the story, God gives the Israelites detailed instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And the reason is because they had never seen it done before. Yet if you look at the story from today, Abraham doesn't need detailed instructions on how to sacrifice a child. You can probably see where I'm going with this because Abraham had seen it done before. This idea of this burnt offering, while it's horrendous and foreign to many of us, child sacrifice by burnt offering was a common practice in the world that Abraham lived in. And so while we would look at this and say, what kind of God would ask this of someone? Abraham would look at the world around him, and in Abraham's mind, this is just what God, the gods ask of people. This was just the, nat- the, the, the nature of things. Because if you just think about the ancient worlds, an agricultural society, in order to thrive, you have to grow vegetation. You have to be able to have your crops thrive. And to do that, you need sunshine and you need rainfall. And, you would, you, and the reality is, as these things are completely out of your control, you don't control the rain or the sun, but the natural perspective would be, but the gods do. And so you better appease the gods by giving them offerings. And so you could see where this would naturally lead. You would need rainfall, you would need sunshine, you need to appease the gods. And so you would start with giving the first fruits of your actual crops. You would start with just actually just giving back what the gods have given to you. You would give back your crops, but then you might go a step further. You might then start giving animals, living beings, offering as sacrifices the animals. And if that's not enough, if there's still not enough rainfall, if there's still not enough sunshine, if there's, if there's still not the right environment for your crops to thrive, and you're thinking, the gods must want more. Inevitably, your mind goes to what is most precious to you, your children. And this is where religion, unhealthy, toxic religion, in its most unhealthy forms, this is where it leads you to anxiously give more and more until ultimately you have given what is most precious to you. And so this is why in Abraham's mind, he looks out the world around him. This is just what the gods ask of people. This is just the nature of things. You give more and more and more until ultimately you give your own 
children. And so th- this was something that, that he just, he's seen it done before, and so he naturally just follows it through to its logical conclusion in his mind. So Abraham said to the workers, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and come back to you. Abraham took word for the burnt offering, gave it to Isaac to carry, and in his own hands he carried the fire and the knife. The two of them went alone. And Isaac said, Father, here I am, my child, Abraham replied. Here are the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That that question, you can just imagine your sanctified imagination, just how, how this would sit with Abraham. Once again, fear, despair, confusion, as his son is asking him, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And so Abraham answers, my child, and and in his mind he knows what he's being asked to do. God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went on together. And when they had arrived at the place that God had pointed out, Abraham built an altar there, arranged wood on it, then the, and he, he ties up his son Isaac. He puts him on the altar on top of the wood. And this is just a terrifying, terrifying thing. And my mind always goes, as it says, Abraham stretched out his hand and seized the knife to kill the child. My mind just always goes to, just, once again, the sanctified imagination of what Isaac must have been feeling in this moment. As his own father is holding a knife over him to kill him. Once again, Isaac's probably seen this done out about too. And the fear that would go through him, knowing what is about to happen. And ultimately, in the long term, the trauma that comes from something like this. But there's this interesting turn of events, as we read earlier, that, that the angel of God stops Abraham. The angel of God calls to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am. He says, don't raise your hand against the boy. Do not do the least thing to him. I know now how deeply you revere God, since you do not refuse to me your son, your only child. And that phrase, do not raise your, your hand against the boy. Like I said, for us, or for Abraham rather, for, in Abraham's mind, this is just what God's ask of people. To him, this was ordinary. He's moving along. He's going through the process. This is what everyone else does in the world around him. And so he's proceeding on this track. Yet suddenly, the angel of God steps in and says, don't raise your hand against the boy. Don't do it. Don't do the least thing to him. And so the, the fascinating thing is that while we would ask, what kind of God would ask this of someone? That's actually the point of this story that all of the gods asked this of people. And then suddenly, this story follows. This would have just been very ordinary for an ancient reader. And then the twist is that God says, don't do it. So the point of the story is, what kind of God would ask this of someone? Well, not this one. The whole idea of this story is to enter this new idea into the world that, hey, this God, Yahweh, does not sacrifice children. This is, this is the way of the world around, but this is not the way of this God. And so instead, then looking up, Abraham saw a ram caught by its horns in a bush. And he went and he took the ram and he offered up as a burnt offering instead of his child. 
And so that's why Abraham called the place God provides. And it's called that to this day because on this mountain, Yahweh provides. And so that's the story. This idea of this, this sacrifice, this progression. And you see that in the story, God meets humans where they are at. But then God finds a way to really move humanity forward, to engage in progress. And so God engages in a world that regularly practiced sacrifice, all the way up to child sacrifice, and meets them where they're at, but rather provides a ram or a lamb instead to remove this idea of child sacrifice from the equation. But the reality is, animal sacrifice is still very perplexing for us today. Yet it did provide a way, a path away from child sacrifice. It was this path forward, it's this incremental step forward towards God's ethical ideal. And in the story, Isaac asks this question, where, where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb for the offering. And this actually becomes a theme in the scriptures of a lamb being the offering. And ultimately, when Jesus steps onto the scene, he's referred to as the lamb of God. And the idea is that Jesus becomes the sacrifice. And once again, the idea of even Jesus being a sacrifice is very perplexing to us. Yet it provided freedom from this religious impulse to continue sacrificing things of our own. It provided a path away from animal sacrifice. Once again, God meets humans where they're at, and then God finds a way to move humanity forward. And what I'm telling you about here, in, in ethical circles, in academia, this is called an ethical trajectory. That humanity is on this ethical trajectory, that there is always this progress that is happening, that we're constantly moving forward, we're constantly growing as human beings, as a society, as a world, toward a more ethical world. And if you apply this to the Bible and theological ethics, something that just like, just, I spend so much of my time in, it's called trajectory hermeneutics, that you look at the Bible and God is moving humanity toward God's ethical ideal, meeting humans where they're at, and then slowly moving them toward a more universal and inclusive love. And so, which brings us to ordinary time. Because ordinary time, ordinary time is a season that is all about finding God in the ordinary. And so when we reflect upon this story, let's just take a moment to cherish the fact that it's not ordinary to sacrifice people or animals. Like, let's just, it's, let's just take a moment to cherish the radical moves forward that humanity has made that we often consider so ordinary today. It was in the grand scheme of human history, in the grand scheme of United States history, it was not too long ago that slavery existed in the United States, that the vast majority of people, of, of, white, of white people in the United States were white supremacists. It was not too long ago that women were not allowed to vote or work. It was not too long ago that interracial marriage was not allowed. And it was not too long ago that same-sex marriage was permitted. And so that we can cherish, we can celebrate how things that used to be ordinary are no longer ordinary, that we have made this radical progress. Yet at the same time, even though 
slavery doesn't exist in the United States. Slave labor still exists. We can recognize this reality of things that still exist, the slave wages that people work for, even within the United States, and then beyond how human trafficking still persists in the world. And even though the Ku Klux Klan is not the majority anymore, racism still exists radically within our nation and the world at large. And even though women are allowed to work and vote, sexism still exists in the world. And even though interracial marriage is now permitted under the law, marriage inequality still exists. And on that same thread, queer phobia still exists. And so when we talk about the ordinary and progress, when we talk about an ethical trajectory, there is still so much today that is ordinary that I think that future generations will look back upon in shock and disgust as we look back upon many things in human history in shock and disgust. And so when we talk about an ethical trajectory, when we talk about trajectory hermeneutics, this is what we're talking about, particularly when it comes to the ordinary time. Because that paradox, sermons are designed to start discussions, not end them. And so the, the, the discussion that I want us to, to begin having today is really how can we participate in, in this progress? How can we participate in making love, inclusion, and empowerment of all more ordinary? So may you celebrate how humanity has progressed over the years. May you be inspired to continue on this ethical trajectory that God has set in place. And may you seek to participate in the trajectory of making love, inclusion, and justice more ordinary for future generations. Amen.